Machine-Gabber, Sunny-Teller. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore multiple worlds and how to go about exploring them. This week we're doing the episode on making memorable NPCs, non-player characters. There are many various types of NPCs that your characters will come across in the course of their travels. Uh, we have several types that we would like to talk about tonight. Antagonists or rivals, allies, regular, and secondary. Now... And others in between, you know. Yes, there are, there are many other types, but those four are the main four that you'll come across in the course of your game. So I guess, uh, what, do you, what do you want to start with? The, uh, the antagonist? Yes, yes, the antagonist would probably be, because that, that's the most prominent one the one that gives off in the most emotional response as far as interacting with in a game uh, now, obviously we can call him a rival or a villain just depending on terminology well i think right. actually there's a difference between a villain between a villain and a rival because a villain is somebody who's just doing something vile for his own reasons that the pcs want to stop it and if stopping means riddling him with bullets that's okay <laughs> but with a but with a rival, it's a, it's a different kind of a relationship because he's not going to be wanting to do something bad from the PC's point of view. He just wants to do it in such a way that the PCs don't get any credit or 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 look stupid or or something like that. He's more of a uh, he's more of a rival within their own organization, where a villain is a bad guy in general. Well, no, you well you if you would go with that point of view, you know, basically the Victorians are rivals. So, yes, but they're not—they're they, not within the organization, though they are a separate. Well, okay, the, but their their goals are not their goals are not antagonistic to the IDET team. If the IDET team sees a Victorian uh, expedition out, they're not going to go, "Oh crap, those guys," and start shooting. But no. if they see French pirates, they're going to go, "Oh crap, those guys," and start shooting. Yeah, right. And so, so, in a storytelling sense, the Victorians may be rivals, but they're not antagonists. While the Fridge Pirates are definitely antagonists. Well, no, well, antagonists in Larry's sense means anyone who isn't the isn't the protagonist, but they are a major character. So, I thought I thought the antagonist in a literary sense was somebody whose goals put them in in opposition to the protagonist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's fair to say that there's, uh, you know, I think I think you're right with that, but I think it's fair to say for our dis for our discussion purposes. Let's um, let's treat that as anyone who is not there to help the players do their, you know, to, to help them succeed or whatever, um, and, and are more than a neutral role. 
So anyone who would try to better the players, even if it is not directly to hurt them, but to get something before they do or whatever, they would still be considered an antagonist from the player's point of view. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to I want to kind of draw that distinction between somebody who it's okay to shoot and somebody who it's not okay to shoot. Right. Right. Well, let's refer to them to we'll refer to them as villains. The, the people with targets on them and and yes. who want to be introduced to lead at high velocities, those are villains. Yes. Those are villains. Okay. Th- those yeah. who have um uh, lead lead aversion from in the future. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and also the, the, I also would say that the other thing that distinguishes them because they are the main drivers for whatever the adventure is, you know, they're, they're basically, they're the ones that, you know, they're, it's, it's Ming the Merciless. He's, a, you know, he's, he's the main guy. He's pushing it. He's the one driving the adventure or at least driving a portion of that adventure. The, right. the trick, the trick for Ming the Merciless is to understand why he wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah. He, he wants to control things. He wants to rule things. He wants everything to go his way. It may not necessarily be a good idea, but if it's what's driving him, you know, he acts consistent with that idea. If you're just having a bad guy there to soak up damage and return damage in turn, then, you know, he's going to come off kind of flat if one of the PCs tries to talk to him. Yeah. But if you have a consistent idea of why he's doing what he's doing, you're going to have a better story about it because you'll be able to answer random questions about what's going on that the PCs may come up with. So understanding why your NPCs are there doing what they're doing is yep. a good thing. That That's one of the main things about making an, a memorable NPC is the motivation behind why they're in the game. Even a minion, the aforementioned guy who just gives and takes damage, he's there for a reason. He might be there for loyalty to his superior. He might be there as a mercenary. He could be just there in it for the money. He, be, he, might, be, he might just work there that day. Right. He's the, the you're talking about people who who are there for ideological reasons. Yep. Um, yes, they, they're, they're not sure that somebody's there for an ideological reason. If he's trying to blow something up, yeah, if he's there for an ideological reason, you say, Why are you trying to blow up our fuel up? He'll say, Because you're you're bringing your evil fuel into our world and polluting things and it's not the way God thought it should be. Since that right. crap wasn't here to begin with. <laughs> See, that's a coherent answer. If it's just because right. I'm the bad guy and that's what I do, right. that's not a good answer. And, Either way, and, he needs to catch lead, but the, the, the first yeah. way is more is more interesting. Yeah. Yes. There's a flip side of giving your PC of, of giving your NPC motivation, and that is if you fall in love with the guy. If if you're so into why he's doing what he's doing that you're kind of reluctant to have him catch lead, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, that's that's true, but what you got to remember from you know, from watching movies or reading novels or anything, the most interesting character in a novel is generally the bad guy. Now, he doesn't really have much purpose beyond what you know his role is in the story, uh, which is why he's not the hero. But they're generally the most interesting, most fun guys. You know, whenever you see interviews where they interview actors, like you know, who play bad guys a lot. Uh, they ask him, "Well, why do you, you know? Why don't you want to be the hero of the story, or why do you always get cast the bad guy?" And most of them say, "Because the bad guy's more fun. They're always more yeah, interesting. They, ha- they, they have the best lines." Line. <laughs> so, um, unless it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> but another thing about the bad guy is, is that I'm of the opinion, and I have been for a very long time, that anytime someone is a bad guy, they don't generally see themselves as a bad guy. You know, they have some reason for doing what they what they're doing and 
you know, in a twisted kind of way, or if you get inside their head, or if you're not you, you know, you're not on the end of their stick, you might actually see them as the good guy. Um, you take Ming the Merciless, for example. You know, he's he's ruling all these other these other worlds and he's subjugating them and everything. But who's to say that they weren't all warring before and they weren't out of control? He may be seen as the guy who brought peace and order to these places. Yeah. And that may be why the, the, the legions of terror have such good recruiting numbers is because they want to stomp out that stuff that was kicking their butts to begin with. Hawkmen are not flying over and attacking my village every, every other weekend. Exactly. <laughs> Heinlein wrote, wrote about that. Your, bat, your villain is never a villain in his own eyes. And, you know, that's true. He has a from his point of view, he has a good reason to do what he does. Yeah. And even if that is because I want things to go my way, or if it's because I'm here to, to you know, bring the bring peace and order and stability to the to the galaxy one planet at a time, you know, it it's it, it he's never just twirling his mustache going, because I'm evil. All right. you know, that's kind right. of a sli- slippery place to discuss, too, because we get into discussing why a villain acts the way he does. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people can see that as trying to justify uh, justify a bad guy, and right. no, uh, it's just making yeah. a three dimensional villain. But that's also true for for uh, for the other NPC types, uh, the ally, the secondary, the the regular. They're having their lives. They don't realize that you know metaphorically this is a movie and our PCs are the stars. They think <laughs> they are starring in a movie about their own lives, right? And so they're going about their own thing. One of the big blessings of a GM is we get to twirl our mustache and go. <laughs> yes, right. So you also could have, as you said, a rival that you know who may actually not be a bad guy. You know, say say you land someplace, say you you, you step through a portal, you're on this world, and the local military say you know it's medieval times, and you show up with exmates, you know, with, with your assault rifles and stuff like that. The local military wants that stuff because it's it's better than what they got. They may not. They, well, they may if have. They're, if, if they're going to attack, if they're going to attack you, and if they're going to, uh, you know, harm you, then they move from the position of being a rival into being a villain. Because uh, you could very well wind up with a longbow arrow in your in your chest if you're not going to give them what they want. You know, sit down, and have a have a have some shit and have some grog with you. But basically, they they'll tell you up front that you know, you guys can leave. You guys can go back home. We just leave everything you got on you here. Again, that's that's still a, that's still a coercive reaction. I'm thinking I'm thinking of a rival more like uh, when you go to 1970s world, mm-hmm. and that pokey reporter in that funky suit keeps chasing you around to trying to find out what's going on, yeah. and getting way too close to the truth. What was his name? Colt something. Yeah, but the thing you is- know that guy is a rival because it's not appropriate to shoot him. Yeah, he's not going to introduce an aspect of force. But what he's going to do is kind of hamper IDET uh, reactions if he gets good proof that there's a gate on this world. He kind of don't want him to do that just yet. That's oh, yeah. that's the uh, yeah. that's a rival position, not necessarily a place where give it to us or we're going to hurt you. But you got people who are basically the good guys, but they look to see what you got, and they realize if we have what you guys got, we we can do better to protect our own people and really, you know. So, so they're becoming villains for good reasons, but yeah. they're still villains if they're going to hurt if they're going to hurt the PCs. I wouldn't say hurt because they may be, you know, well, yeah, they may end up being, it may, they may end up hurt. You're right. It may end up in a situation where, but that also depends on the PCs too, and whether they can actually come up with a, a compromise of some sort. You well, know? think you know, you think about 
whenever you talk about a villain or a hero, it's always perspective, 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 perspective. Yeah. And like, for example, you know, you watch King Kong. King Kong's a prime example of this. King Kong was the good guy. He's, he he's, was the hero. He was the hero of the movie. He's the protagonist. Is that, is, is that the one in? Is that the most recent Peter Jackson one? I love that movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the good guy. You know, everyone else is actually the villain. And he it, got taken from his home. He was just trying to live. He gets taken from his home, put in a strange situation. And he's basically having to fight back to, you know, try to escape. He's right, a and it's kind, you know. And then they and then they kill him. Yeah. You know, they they gun him down. So it's it, it's it's yeah. always it's always perspective. But now from their perspective, you've He's a got monster. This He's scary. Ginormous gorilla running through town, smashing things, probably, you know, crunching people underfoot as he's, you know, because he's scared. You know, it doesn't matter that he's scared. You know, you're in the military and they've told you, you know, you got to kill this big monkey before he kills any more people. You know, well, from the military standpoint and from, from a citizen standpoint, if you don't know the whole story, you're not a bad guy. But in his eyes, you were. So, you know, you're right. You know, there comes a point where. Hey, he's not a bad guy, but he's shooting at me. So uh, he's right yeah, now. He just, he's the he enemy. Just put a target. He just put a target on himself. It's right. a yeah. lot of it. A lot of it's about sympathy too. I mean, who the players are sympathizing with? Because if you tell them this story about this this medieval town that's getting attacked every third every third Thursday by by magical monsters, and they see your firepower, and they and they really want that to help fend these things off. Well, then you know you. Add one of the monster attacks. Show them how outgunned the city guard is, and they'll probably wind up trying to figure out a way to to help these guys. Of, of putting uh, of where you establish the sympathy for who's sitting, who who's there. Now, I I have found, yeah, I mean, uh, very often players will sympathize with NPCs if you present them right. If this if the NPCs are like, mm-hmm. you know, small children and, and and widows and orphans going, oh help us, help us, the pe- the players will usually go, oh yeah, right there. If it's if it's a six foot eight muscle bound lunatic with a huge sword, says my people need your help. That's not going to be as sympathetic. They're not going to be as willing to help that guy unless he just went back to back with them against a monster. Then he's you know one of the good guys. Yeah, it's all about enemy, establishing I, sympathy. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yes. Yeah. Or right. al- alley of alley of the day. Or, yeah. <laughs> But I think um, another thing to think about in this is that, you know, IDET is going to have – they're going to have certain leaders running teams and they're, you know, they're going to sign people based upon history. So if you're playing in uh, anything beyond the very earliest campaigns, your team leaders are generally going to be people who are chosen and put in that place because they're the kind of guy who goes into that village that needs help, who will let the villagers take their – their weapons or whatever, take them captive and, you know, talk their way out of it, explain to them how they can help them and how it's beneficial. You know, you're going to have the leader that's going to going to try and work with these people instead of, oh, crap, they're coming at us with swords and we should mow them down into little bitty chunks. Well, that's where that's where Tritech always has been, though. Tritech has always yes. rewarded thinking first before shooting. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I think I think that's how Richard intends Idet to be, and the kind of the kind of that that organization 
is more philanthropic than mercenary. So I see them advancing people who show those kind of traits over people who don't. It's like, well, this guy's a really good leader and, you know, he keeps his people alive and everything, but he leaves a a wake of dead bodies like the plague. I don't think we're going to make him the captain of the team. Yeah. Metaphorically, you're you're playing something closer to Star Trek than uh, D&D. Yeah. Right, but but you're not playing Star Trek in that they don't believe in that whole prime directive crap. They'll get involved and help people out. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. I mean, it's it's it, everything I've seen about Fringeworthy is is that you know it's yeah. you know if, if the people are are starving yeah. or or they're you know they're sick or whatever, I dead jumps in and helps them out. Well, there's also there's also an there's also an idea behind it. You know, if you if you come across a village of people who are starving and in trouble, and if you help them out. Well, then they're going to be your friends next time, and they're going to exactly. help you. They, they're going to they're going to help you out. So there's kind of a utilitarian reason, and you know that mm-hmm. utilitarian thought process might be one to put the uh, PCs on a on, on the horns of a dilemma. Well, that village doesn't have anything to help us because we have a friendly village one door next door. You know, we don't we don't need to put any energy into them, and have the PCs go. Well, screw you. They're people and they're starving. Come on, we're going to help anyway. Right. You know. Yeah. But then um, you also. When you run into the, there's another problem you could run into. Here's here's a real dilemma for that. We don't we can only help one person, or you know the teams are gonna have to remember we cannot help everybody. You know, much like the the whole superhero mantra, you know, the Superman mantra, you can't save everybody. Yeah. There there will be times where you'll have to let villages die. Mm. Well, and then you then you get into the star then you get into the starfish solution. Boy on a beach. High tides come up. There's starfish all over the beach. He's throwing starfish back in the water. When he walks up to him, what are you doing? He's, oh, I'm saving starfish. They say, there's far too many starfish here. You'll never save them all. And he throws a starfish in the water. Made a big difference to that one. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, now, uh, uh, let's talk about other NPCs because there are some times when uh, different NPCs have become really interesting. Uh, I had a, I had a, a, a patron NPC. In one of my games, he hired. It wasn't a. It was not a fringeworthy game. This guy hired the PCs to do something for them, and he came along with them uh, on their mission to help get the goal done. And uh, he turned into. Uh, he turned into basically my voice inside the gaming party. But also, I got to do some interesting stuff, make up some make up some silly voices, and and uh, do some interesting characterization with this guy. So. So he was just – he was like sort of like um, – it wasn't like comedy relief. He was more – was he just somebody who endeared himself to the players? Yeah. Um, having a having a solid idea of who the guy was allowed him to be more present for the PCs, allowed him to what, – what, how should I say this? He wasn't a cardboard cutout. He wasn't right. like one of those flat stand-up cutouts you see, the, the full-size cutouts of a, of a movie character. <laughs> right, right. He wasn't like that – Put in, the, put off to, off to the side of the plot while they walked through it. He was okay, an actual so, person there. So he wasn't played by Keanu Reeves. No. Okay. <laughs> Not Don't try to interpret the, expe- the expression. Just accept the truth. There is no expression. <laughs> <laughs> so did did he did he take active roles in any of their stuff, or was he just there, you know, for certain yeah. periods of time? Um, he t- well, uh, one of the things he did was he was Mr. Moneybag, so he's funding the party. So when they okay. wanted costume changes to fit in, he was able to help with that. He was okay. with the party during at least one gunfight where they found out he had a gun and knew which way to point it, but okay. wasn't nearly as good at it as the PCs. So you know, right. it, 
But often he often when they knew something stupid was liable to happen, they said, oh, "Okay, guy, you go ahead and guard the ship." And he said, "Right, I'll I'll just stay here and guard the ship. That'll be fine." Yes. Right. So, okay. Because <laughs> right, they didn't want him to get killed. I I've had NPCs like that myself, where they basically they uh, they they are, in, are purposely ineffective, but they're effective enough. You know. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, not everybody is a high level adventurer. His his levels and and skill points had gone into something else. He was a he was a pretty killer card player, but also he wasn't supposed to be as competent at the adventuring life as the PCs were because they're the ones who adventure for a living. That's their job. He was there for he was there he was there just because he needed to go there to do to to rescue his sister essentially. Yeah, and I find that having a picture, a mental picture, uh, I base the guy off of. Oh boy, the Thin Man. Who was that? Uh, the old the old movies. Nick Charles, yeah. I think his name was. Well, that that was the character, but the actor who played him. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I can't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, I, I based my characterization of the guy off of him. You know, I just pulled that character out of my butt and said, oh, looks like this, talks like that, okay. Oh, he's drunk drunk all the time, right, okay. That is a good thing, you know, watching old TV shows, looking at old movies, because you can pull characters out of there, and if they're in the wrong context and they have a different name, the, the players will never really spot what you're ripping off. You just have to file the serial numbers off the engine block before you try to sell it again. Well, that's more like that's more on creating the, the personality for the character. I mean, but we're, we're talking about allies, though. There's there are specific roles for allies versus antagonists. That's true, but uh, I'm talking right now about coming up with improv NPCs, NPCs that you that, uh -huh. that you don't that you don't know are going to be important until the players decide they're important. Well, no, there I disagree with. I think the reason why they become important because you think they're because. I can put it, the, the the players think it's important because for some reason you're making him more important than what he really is, and I hate uh, that. The, the the biggest way of doing that is to give an NPC a name. Yeah, if the NPC has a name, especially a last name. Players all make him go. This guy's important. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good for red herrings too. Yeah. Um, I also find it helps to take notes. I scribble frantically while I'm GMing. Uh, I try to really, really method act. Yes, I had this all planned six months ago, but it, but inside I'm going, oh god, oh god, oh god, what's happening next? And I'm writing notes because next time, I could take the stuff I pulled out of my butt in this session and kind of yeah. shape it up and make it into something that looks a little more planned. Well, I, I tend when I when I do this, I, I hate to say this, and my my people I play with probably assume this too. I tend to actually I, I don't say heavily script my adventures, but I definitely have a an idea of how the thing is going to end. But what I usually end up doing is I do let the players alter how it goes. And, but you know, no, nothing, anything I've written or done ever goes away. Cause it basically, Oh, so you go down this street. That's fine. They venture, they, they, the encounter they plan for you happens here now instead. So yeah, I, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you rewrite on the fly so that they get where you were going anyway. Yeah. Uh, I tend to, I, I, I tend to be a little more improvisational as we go. I mean, um, yeah. And mostly that's because I'm a slacker, so I slack off on the early game prep. And so when I should have everything written down, I kind of like oh. throw some stuff in there and say, yeah, that guy, uh, his his name is Billy. Yeah. And Billy's yeah. over here doing this, and this is what he thinks is going on. And he says, hi, my name is Billy. You know, you kind of... I am probably best, best when I actually have have a good good foundation to work from. Yes, <laughs> yes that always helps. Yes. Well, 
Yeah, like, like my former roommate said, planned improvisation, thinking yeah. on your feet, basically. As we've matured as role players, we, we have found that it's too hard to predict what the players are going to do at any given time. You know, you might know a guy, you might have played with him for years and years, and, you know, just to switch stuff up, or just because he's playing a different character, he sees that character going in a different direction. And I think planning too far ahead or getting too detailed with anything is a waste of time. I just I don't see I don't see the benefit in it. I think it's best to have a a series of, of points that you want to you want to hit. You know, certain areas like okay, at some point during the adventure, this is going to happen, or about halfway through the night, you know, I want them to run into this. Uh, another thing I like to run with when it comes to that is stress level. I like to I like to just keep a stress level. So I don't know how many enemies they're going to fight. I know how many they're going to start fighting. And if my stress level isn't met, you know, six more run through the door or whatever. But I basically have an idea of, of how I want the feel of the adventure to flow through the night. And sometimes I, you know, I'm open to modify it if, for example, they do something really smart and they were supposed to hit this really stressful, you know, situation and they, they do something that just that catches me off guard and is really smart. Then I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to send that at them now because... Or I'm going to make it really light, or I'm just going to give them the total upper hand and make them, you know, make their night, because you know they made a smart decision. Yeah, uh, they I, did some. They did something smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've had that happen too, where the PCs, where where one of my players just kind of sees what's coming, or had an idea in mind and went in a direction I just simply didn't expect. For instance, I had this encounter where they were in a jungle, right? They were in a swamp jungle setting. And so I mapped out because I had plenty of time. I had lots of pr lots of prep time. I mapped out north, south, east, and west, and what was going to happen in each direction, and what kind of encounters they ran into. And the players climbed the trellis tree they could, found, looked around at the uh, looked around at the uh, landscape, and said, "That looks like the exit. We're going that way." I totally sidetracked any of this stuff that I thought I had them heading for. I mean, they totally said, "No, we look for the exit sign," and I say, "Err." Okay, you know, and I had to be honest with him. You know, I wouldn't say, "Well, no, you can't really see any exit sign." You know, you have to take the door that says "Adventure." You know, they were smarter than me, and they, they had a better idea. So I said, "Okay, that way lies the exit." And then I just said, "Okay, it's along this arm," and I ran those encounters for them, and we got to the end. And they, uh, that was also an interesting piece because I had an NPC in there. I had two NPCs who became interesting to the party. One was a, a little boy who was a herder in that environment. And he became their guide halfway through their, that run. And another one was one of the NPC bandits who jumped on them and ambushed them at a certain point. They took her alive and then started to question her about why they attacked. And I had to really figure out off the top of my head, why are a bunch of people in, in the swamps and jungles shooting at strangers and stealing their stuff. And, and I had to kind of build that attitude on the fly for the PCs, which actually antagonized them a little bit because I can't figure out why anybody would be a bandit except for stupidity and xenophobia. But <laughs> Oh, those are reasons, you know, lack, lack of resources, lack of, uh, lack of, lack sure. of you know, you also to you shoot know. somebody and take their stuff. You really have to dehumanize them. You have to really consider them not people. Yeah. And so this NPC considered the PCs, you're, you, you're not really people because you're city folk. And so even though we shot at you, it was murder when you shot back because we're people and you're not. 
and that wind up getting that character pretty thoroughly arrested and abused. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, so, well, you know what you're saying about, um, you know, PCs or NPCs who, who become, uh, endeared to the party or, or get used later or, or NPCs that you spend a lot of time on who the, the party doesn't pay any attention to, no matter how hard <laughs> you try to get them to pay attention yes. to it. Um, <laughs> I think I think a good idea then from what you're saying and, and I like this is that when you make up your NPC you might want to say he has a checkered past. You don't have to go into why it is. You know, you just note that down. That is something you can come back to and embellish on later if the party should pursue that level. So, you got this guy who the party meets, they become interested in him and they're like, you know, usually it's a female character. I've always noticed that in, female NPCs always seem to endear themselves at the parties much easier. <laughs> but, so, so, so when I say he, I mean he, she, whatever. Um, yeah, the, the, the common English use of he, which is for everybody. Yes. Right. So, you know, this, this person becomes endeared to the party, and then you're like, you know, they say, well, you know, he has this checkered past. I want to look into it. That's when you're like, okay, let me develop this section of his life. It looks like I'm going to start having to develop this character. And then that's yeah. when you can go in and start developing him. But I really think – I think you're right. Much like the adventure, I don't think you should plan out anybody far too far in advance. You know, Start every NPC out as a MOOC with some interesting little tidbits but nothing more than that and then flesh out who needs to be fleshed out. Well, uh, you know, and- I, I hate to say it. I, I, I tend to work the exact opposite. I tend to flesh mine out. I tend to flesh the adventure out. Uh, well, I, I well not completely. I do leave a lot of a lot of wiggle room, but I do tend to work out and work in scenes and stuff like that. So I actually have different scenes I go, I want to run, and different NPCs are going to run those scenes. Mm-hmm. So so it's a different. I think it's it's, it's just different 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 points of view on how on how you run games. My well, NPCs, I... you know, my NPCs, uh, yeah, like like on this, I ran an incursion game, and two of the and there was two NPC humans on board. Yeri and Sergei from Ukraine, and they were, you know, <laughs> nuclear missile silo. They were in a nuclear missile silo when the, uh, when the space pirates came and, got, and took them and all their nuclear missiles. So they can't go back home now because if they go back home, they will be killed because they stole <laughs> nuclear missiles. I, I want to point something out here. Uh, John, kind, John has broken into an accent, and for some reason that really helps me paint a picture of the NPCs. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Both, both the ones that both the ones that he's describing, and when I do an NPC, yeah. a funky accent or a strange voice or something can really help me out. Also, I want to comment on what John was saying. You know, it's not like there's one recipe for being a good GM. It's like writing. Everybody does it a little bit differently, and you got to find out what works. I mean, I don't want to sound like I've tried to say this is how you should always GM. And if you GM differently, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that, that's I'm just throwing some ideas out on the table. Idea right. buffet. Yeah, there's there's no right exactly. We're not saying there's any wrong way to do it. It's just, um, you know, I, I like I like this open free form, and like for example, conventions are notorious for this. If you try to plan out every little thing in a convention, you're going to get hosed. And I, and I really I'm I'm just this is from experience of of all the ones that I've done where I've run adventures and such. You cannot predict those people. You don't know them. And they will do crazy stuff. They're at a convention because they like to cut loose. When when you play at a convention, you play a different character than when you play at home. You don't care about that character. That character gets killed, yeah. big, big deal. Well, so, yeah, you're liable to throw him off. At, you're liable to have him drive a school bus off a cliff just to see the look on the GM's face. 
Exactly. Well, that, actually, it's a show we're going to talk about later, and that's the show for the future where we actually talk about creating, you know, creating adventures for conventions, which is a totally right. different beast than creating adventures for your oh. group. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm just saying that, that since I've started running conventions a lot, and I'm seeing that way of you know that way of game mastering as as a you know a, a need. You know, I mean, I, I had to adjust to that. I actually am learning to prefer it for my game mastering style in general. Yeah, because um, basically when you run a game, and this is also where I hate to say, you know, doing painting the, the, the broad picture NPC is kind of hard in a con game because you basically got at best, uh, you may you may get you may get like two sessions of four hours each, but at best, you, you on average, you get a four-hour session. So you got to do everything. You, you have to run your entire adventure in four hours. Uh, that could be a bit more difficult. <laughs> right, right. You know, and and I've learned to uh, basically run my event. Hey, see, the rails are on in those games. Uh, I try not to make them very visible. You know, you can look out the seat, look out and see all the scenery, but uh, you know, we we, the, we we got four hours to get this game done. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and that's pretty much you know. And I hate to say, but a game like Fringeworthy, uh, if the player's not familiar with Fringeworthy, I almost guarantee you can lose by half hour of your game telling them what Fringeworthy is. Right, I'm gonna try and go through that pretty fast when I go. Yeah, I'm gonna create a handout. Let them read it as in their leisure as we as we play. <laughs> right. You're listening to the Fringeworthy podcast. Hi, we're north here, and we're south here, and we're latitude, longitude, gobbledy bleh bleh. Okay, I do not shoot at the guy hanging on the wing. <laughs> Thank you. I, oh, what kind of combination of accents is that? Okay. <laughs> I'm breaking up. I'm breaking up. Let's see how to manage this. I'm going to hit him with the bag of money. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I saw that one coming. I did, I swear. Heinrich, you never did have any manners. You never had any good looks. Oh, zing. <laughs> oh, please tell me Reggie actually says that. The Gutter Skypes. Doing the funny voice is actually the easiest way of actually getting, you know, get, creating a character. So when you talk like this, people go, oh, what kind of person is that? You know, he sounds like he's from someplace, you know, strange. That's just a voice like this that you're talking in an accent that definitely is foreign. Now, there is a problem with this. You know what this problem is in Fringeworthy? Everyone talks like this in Fringeworthy. <laughs> they sound like you, John? Why would that be? No, no they, they, they talk with no accent because when you step through, you're speaking their language. So what, they, are they going, you know, so you go to Russia. You, is everyone going to talk like this? No, they're going to talk like this. Um, I think it would be okay in a game of Fringeworthy if you added a light accent to yeah. just add add a little bit of spice to the character because... they can have another dialect yeah well, well, it, it, dialect they're definitely gonna, they are definitely going to talk in an accent at that, that point yeah I don't think uh, you know I wouldn't even I wouldn't even come up with a game mechanism for it I just have I will just have people with Russia talking like this because that lets the players know and I'll bet you if you if, if you play it straight with them if you're honest about where the characters are well where the NPCs are and what they're thinking that they won't even ask, well, hey, wait, why can we hear accents? Doesn't it automatically translate for us? I don't think that'll occur to them. 
if you flip in and out of accents, if one character has an accent, the same guy down the street doesn't have an accent, then they'll then they'll start asking questions or they'll figure out that uh, yeah. the GM's having a bad night tonight. Kind of take it take it well, slow. I, I know some GMs who actually are really can't do different voices. I hate to say I grew up on Sunday morning cartoons. So, you know, I learned to do voices. Well, here's the thing. If you <laughs> here's the thing, if you can't do voices, don't try. Yes, because your players will call you on it and they'll just it'll ruin the mood because if let's say you go to a world where there is oh, what is the world? The invasion US world where the Soviets took over America in the 80s. If over eat yeah, right. Thank you. Yes. If you cannot do a Russian voice, that will just kill the mood for the players. Your suspension of disbelief is gone. If you can't do a Spanish accent, that does the same thing too, because you've got Cubans there too. You know. That also, I think, is kind of uh, is kind of group and player specific. Because I've I've had players who were who were good with me trying things and they kind of went with me on it, and I've had times when the when the when the players themselves were irritated at me for out of game reasons, and nothing I could have done would have worked for them, you know. So you're gonna you, you know if somebody's you know this goes into group dynamics a little bit, but if you know if somebody's there playing with you, you've got your groove with them, go ahead and go with your groove, you know. Trust trust where you've already been and what you've already what you've already established with these people. You know, experimenting with some things from time to time to see what works and what doesn't, that's cool. But, uh, you know, you don't have to, like, turn into, go from Mr. Planned Out, exquisite detail, exquisite detail, everything on paper GM to improvisational nutcase. You don't have to try to switch tracks on them because, you know, they know who you are. These people are not stupid. They know who you are, and they're coming to play your game. So they must like something you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've, I created, uh, and there's actually, this has come up with something. When you're talking about different accents, the, the situation sometimes when you have, as a GM, you have NPCs talking to NPCs. If you, you know, doing the voices is, is interesting, but you can lose track of the voice at that point, which who's, who, who's got the voice or not. When and I also, had- when I had one NPC make fun of another NPC and did two nested accents at the same time, <laughs> they about carted me away to the loony bin, but I pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 one, one trick I've learned, and I, unfortunately, we're on, we're on podcasts, you actually can't see me do this. I will actually look in one direction when I do the one NPC, then look in the opposite direction for reply. <laughs> yes. Like I'm, I'm not crazy. Talking. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, 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 it works. You understand that there's two different people talking to each other when yes. I don't do different accents at that point. Yes. Well, my our game master has taken he's taken the stance where he doesn't talk to himself. He's like, I'm not going to talk to myself. He's like, yeah. he's like, if the two people are talking, um, most of the time well, he'll say they discuss this. This is what you get out of it. There's <laughs> times know? when it's an involved scene. We would call that playing with ourselves. Don't no, have to play <laughs> with myself here. I'm kind of glad but... he doesn't play with himself at the table. <laughs> yeah, that that's <laughs> would be a little rude. Yes, yeah. a little but... uncalled for. Another way of doing it is, of course, is to narrate it. So you know, so Jay says, Jay, you know, Jay says says this, blah 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 blah, and then Ronald replies, blah 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 blah. blah. Speech balloons over the skyline. Just go ahead, read in the speech balloons. Regular NPCs, um, the ones that you are, they're not adventure specific; they're campaign specific. Like 
and and I'm sure we'll just touch on this one lightly because it was mentioned. This this been this horse has been beaten before. Um, <laughs> your supply sergeants back at the base, or if you keep going a particular world, the mm-hmm. local chieftain that you talk to all the time. Mission yeah. briefing guy. Yes, another one. Just people that you come across regularly. I mean, these are the people that help add flavor to the campaign because you build relationships and dynamics with these characters. Your players see them constantly, and it's a a, it gives a sense of stability. I'm thinking of I'm thinking actually of a of of a science fiction show uh, that was on that was on uh, recently. And uh, thinking of a couple of what we would call NPCs, a couple of really uh, background supporting characters. Eventually, we got to know their characters because something stupid came and got them and threw them into a problem with one of the normal PCs. And so sometimes you can have uh, one of these guys step up and do a guest shot, or you can have the PCs get involved with another one of his problems and, and develop his personality that way. Or you can just write down who the person is and play them consistently over time and see if the players want to go and explore that direction. But let's see what's lying behind this guy. Actually, a really good example of that happening was in CSI. When, the first, when CSI first came out, the, you, had, you had the ensemble, you know, the, the, and then you had all the lab technicians who were, were repeating, but definitely they were definitely secondary characters. But if you've ever watched CSI recently, they're now basically part of the ensemble and they're basically full-fledged characters now because mm. they always were on, always doing something, and they always were important people to go to. You know? Yeah. Well, and also the writers, they have control over all the characters. So yeah. they can kind of say, I, you know, I've done everything I could possibly do with guy A, but let's go over here down to guy down to guy M or Q and bring him in. You know, there's there's times when you can have a guest starring NPC, but it really doesn't have the same dynamic as on TV when they promote a character from a supported character to a more yeah. three dimensional character because you know you, then we get into where the where's the spotlight, how much of it is on the PCs, and also trouble with regular and with regular PCs. NPCs is that they are. It really depends on how you run your game. If you get, if you if every game starts uh, in media res on every world, then you're never ever going to see you know the, the supply clerk clerk back in Hasumi Base. However, you do the whole nine yards and start on Hasumi Base, and then you spend the whole session, tra- you know, at least part of your session, traveling to the world. Then yeah, you, then then you may actually get to see that person and talk to him and interact with them. I would also say that regular NPCs are also all the named uh, NPCs we have in the book: Sayuri, Gordon, Waylay, Terrence, uh, Cosgrove. They're all they'll treat them as regular NPCs. You know they're you know they're they're basically you, they can even team up with you sometimes because no. not, not not all not no. all NPCs are. are are you know guys clerks back there? Some of them are actually you know named characters. Talking and, to somebody out there out, out there at Computerland who's playing your yeah. book. You bought it. That 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 copy of that NPC belongs to you. Change them out. Change them out. You want. Yeah. You know, use use what use what you like and 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 mm-hmm. don't use what you don't like and and run with it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of lot of good NPCs in there to 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 take advantage of if you're mm-hmm. if the players catch you looking to go. We I'm gonna go straight to the manager on this one. 
Yeah, because actually, one of the in, we do actually have a regular NPC in that in there. We actually have Doctor Hatsumi. Now, here's a person who basically is not fringeworthy. I bet he funnels keys all the time, so you can become fringeworthy. But he's definitely not fringeworthy in, in at least the beginning of the game, and yet he's possibly you know. They named the base after him for crying out loud, and he. You know, I thought, I thought I, from my reading, he he was a he was a Nobel Prize winning scientist and and was popular. So when he came out and said, "Look, I've discovered a portal to another world," he could use his popularity to kind of capitalize on it in a civilian sense. They say, "Oh, yeah. that's Hatsumi's thing," and so that's why he was able to have any kind of influence on the thing at all. Yes, and his also because his niece is involved. Second, secondary allies. Yeah, they're, they're minions. Their name for them. <laughs> Mooks. So not, not just minions. Not, well, not just minions. This would also apply to adventure-specific NPCs. The people that you are going to see, one shot, they're there for their purpose. Yeah. And they're done. Oh, like like a mission specialist. Okay, yeah, that would that that could be an example. Mine, I, I was thinking more along the lines of you're on a world and the little native boy, particular to that village, or oh, okay, yeah, the clerk on on in in a, a mega the, the, mall world, you know, the mega what world? The mall guard in the mega mall world. Yes, you're you're they're there for their purpose for that adventure, and then once you leave that world, you're never going to see them again. They're the one the one shot NPC. You still have to give them a personality of some type, and what. Yeah, if the if the, if the if the players are going to spend an entire session, an entire adventure, which may run several sessions, if they're going to spend that entire time interacting with the guy, you you should have a good idea who that guy is. Otherwise, they're going to say, "Well, we carry our cardboard cutout over here and have him give us the clue." Bing, he gave you the clue. Right. Okay, thank yeah. you. And I I've noticed with with NPCs whether they are one shot or long standing rivals or just villains that you love to hate, the one thing I've noticed is that it, it's GMing is like writing. You write what you know. If you can, uh, Jay brought this up earlier, if you can base it on something that you know or even a person that you know, that's great because the, in, in that way it gives them a form of life. You're using that facet of the personality of the person you know to help breathe life into this new character. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter if you're, quote, borrowing, quote, 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 from a movie or a TV show. Just, you know, make sure that it's not one that, that has been really, really popular in the last, oh, uh, six months, 90 days. Yeah. Oh, no. In um, another game that I play, Feng Shui, you have your unnamed minions and then the named ones. And obviously the named ones are the ones that you're going to give a lot more detail to. I mean... Yeah, an unnamed mook. You can sit there and say, well, why is he following this bad guy? Well, you know, it's an ideological thing. You know, he believes in what the main villain's doing. Fine, end it there. The name yeah, villain... Yeah, you, you don't have to make up more unless the PCs happen to duct tape that guy to a stick and carry him around asking him questions. Right, but, like, the main guy? Like, uh, let's see, I'll use for an example Magneto. You find out why he is the way he is. You find He's a double out, survivor. Yes, he, he was through the Holocaust, and he does not want to see what happened to the Jews happening to the mutants. So you learn to, if not agree with him, 
you sympathize with him. He has a reason why he is the way he is. And yeah. that you, don't, is, you never learn that much in that movie. You never learn that much about Toad. He's just around to be disgusting and have that tongue. <laughs> well, he believes, you know, being a mutant, he believes that he does not want to be fingerprinted, coded, tattooed, and stuck in a camp somewhere. There is motivation. We can infer, we can infer that about we can infer that about him. Yes. But we also can see that that he that it's not as burning a cause for him as it is for Magneto. He's just so he hanging does, around because that's his gang. That's his group of guys. Yeah. So he does believe that he, because he is a uh, mutant, he's actually better than normals. Yes. Otherwise, he wouldn't be, wouldn't be working for Magneto. Because maybe Magneto is, uh, was it, homo superior? I think he uses the term. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a firm believer in homo superior. And that that's their religion, is homo superior. Yeah, I see. He's an opportunist. Toad, Toad is definitely an opportunist. Um, you know, Sabretooth is a follower. Sabretooth, he, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, as an NPC, Sabretooth would would follow would see Magneto as sort of like a father figure or or a religious leader, whereas I think Toad is just in it because he doesn't really have much else to do. He's kind of disgusting looking, so it's not like he can hang out with everyone else, and he gets to be one of the big boys on the block by hanging out with these guys, you know. Um, What's his name? Uh, Xavier's brother, um, Juggernaut. Uh, yeah. Kane Marco. He's just a bully. Oh my god, I just pegged the geek meter. Hello. (laughs) He's just a bully. He's a thug. You know, he he gets off on being powerful. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was proven. He always used to pick on Xavier and just then he found that artifact which made him unstoppable and it just, you know, amped up how much he hated Xavier. Right. Um Yes, but making an NPC with a hook, and I mean all NPCs need a hook in order to... Okay, how do you mean a hook? A hook, just that, like the ideological thing with Magneto, or even, you know, the the unnamed minions that are following that that particular mastermind, or... Okay, is that a hook for why they're there, or a hook for why the PCs might find them interesting? Yes. Both, right? Okay. You need both of them. You, you okay. Need, you need something to entice the PCs to want to interact with them, and their the hook as far as their motivation, why they're even there in the first place. Yeah. Um, again, we're back into villain versus antagonist. Yeah. Villain versus rival, because if it's a mook who who's driving up in a jeep, guns are blazing to take down the intruders, then. They don't need much of a hook for interacting with them because the whole point is shoot them before they shoot you. Right. But if you're trying to sneak into the enemy compound and you've uh, mugged a couple of guys for their uniforms and you're trying to fit in, then you need more detail about why, what the what the mooks are thinking and why they're thinking. Probably, the food here sucks, man. What are you going to do when you get home? You know, that I don't kind of know thing. about you guys, but I'm going to go back to my comic book collection. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, there's there's a context there. I mean, I made up. I I this, when I had the, all this time to do game prep, I was a security guard. So I was wandering around this uh, job site and and doodling about characters. So I made up two squads full of uh, mooks, and I gave them names, and I even gave them each you know a little thing to have on their person. So when they got shot down, the PCs could find not just the usual this mook. You know, this mook has a gun and an armor and and one of these. You know, they had things like letters from true love. Yeah, 
Letters of Their True Love, a, connect, a, a collection of games, you know, an illegal drug, you know. And Pokemon so, card. Yep. <laughs> Actually, one had a data stick with, uh, with with alien porn on it. They were alien bad guys. And so <laughs> the PCs got an impromptu alien physiology lesson, which they thought was nice. hilarious. But you see, it, I really had too much detail on these guys. They kicked in the door and came in blasters blasting. And, you know, I knew they were there to get shot down, so I wasn't too brokenhearted about it. But I was I was overloading myself with detail work on the fly, trying to keep track of which particular which particular mook had been gunned down and which hadn't. So I could tell them which one had the goofy stuff while all they wanted to know was who's rolling to hit next, how much damage do we take and how how the heck are we going to get out of this? Right. So, uh, you know, that, that there's a time when when my when my attention and loving detail on these things kind of slowed things down to to a degree the players did not necessarily enjoy. And so, well, you know, that that's that every time I GM, it's a new learning experience for me. It feels like I'm still a beginner because every time I get into it, I don't know what's going to work or, or what's not. I have this large database of things I've tried before, which worked. It didn't work. So, you know, I've got a few riffs that I can that I can grab and go with. But it's it's new. It's it's you know with each new batch of characters and each new situation, there's always something I didn't think of. But uh, yeah, I, I would tend to say, yeah, keep the mooks like uh, little mobile gun platforms, and and give all the silly things and all the detail things and all the amusing things to guys with names. Yeah, and actually, that's something I think a lot of people do really uh, names. People tend to really agonize over names sometimes. I, I'm guilty of that. Uh, I will, if I create characters who are foreigners, I will purposely create names for them that that will that will evoke certain certain reactions from the players. I, I don't have that problem since I discovered Seventh Sanctum. So, what is Seventh Sanctum? Seventh, the uh, as in it is not the sixth and not the eighth, but the Seventh Sanctum. <laughs> uh, it's a website that has random name generators, random plot generators, random generator generators, random everything. Oh, and, wow. uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great resource for generating piles of random names or yeah, names for things. Well, and so, you know, I, I can just print out a, a, a list and go ahead and assign names if I need them. Well, that, that's great. But you know, one thing I found, because I'm, I'm and folks, I'm, we're writing stuff for the Service Worlds games that I write one for, for uh, Pax Romana. Well, the thing is, Romans' names tend to actually mean things about the person. They actually, the names do actually reflect the person's personality. So I actually can't just simply roll Oh, your nitpicky little fixation on facts in reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not well, mean if to you're sound gonna... like I was denigrating. I know that you yeah. are. I, I, I've heard that you are a major Rome bunny, so you're going to want to make it yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, but I, yeah, some places, some cases, I sit down. Yeah. But I, I only do that for. I've only done that for uh, actually for this just three NPCs where I sat down really hard to create names that actually worked for them, uh, that basically you know reflected their personalities. But it only makes sense if you speak Latin. So that's so. It's, so it's really it's, it's really an in joke for me. Then and the the PCs will probably never get what the, they were actually fighting a person who's who's called, oh. you know, uh, who's who's called, um, uh, guy, you know, Gaius uh, Celtic Blue, the the brewmaster. <laughs> hmm. Larry, that's what a guy's names translates into. 
Gaius, actually, uh, Gaius means uh, glory, uh, glory and, ha and happiness. So happy, the, the happy, happy Celtic blue, the bar, the, the brewmaster. Mm. Well, uh, you know, the PCs might get it. One of them may have a Latin, ha might have a uh, Latin skill. Players, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> the players not. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, or, or, or like Ming the Merciless. Now, there's a great name, uh, but it's also really tied to a certain genre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. And unfortunately, a certain stereotype. And that's something else about making memorable NPCs. You don't want to make stock generic characters. I mean, yeah, barmaids are barmaids, but you don't want to go there. I mean, they're, might get they're, grown out of a player, or if it's a particular stereotype, you really might push a button. And that's one thing you got to watch out when you make NPCs, because let's say you make a barmaid. There's the stereotype of all the wenchy barmaids. Buxom, flirtatious, you know, your PC tries to put an inappropriate hand, and they'll smack it out of the way with a laugh. Yeah, that's nice, but after the 15th or 16th bar you go to, that's going to seem boring. Oh yeah, find another barmaid. Yeah, got to put that. Yeah, she'll that, be a. She'll be one of those cardboard cutouts. Yes, you got to put that hook in. If you deem that character important enough, where even if it's adventure specific, still there are various types of barmaids depending on what type of genre you're in. It could be a nightclub. It could be a tavern. It could be you know, a 1940s gin joint, but you're all going to have that same thing. So switch them yeah. up or otherwise they're going to end up being the aforementioned cardboard cutout. But you have the gun, the gum snapping barmaid. You have the sarcastic barmaid. You have trouble. You end up with barmaid, you know, you, you end up with six different barmaids, but they're uh, with different personalities. Okay. Going on. Well, there. that's why, that, that's why God invented three by five cards. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, one of the things that I uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to take a stereotype and then just invert something or flip something on its head. You know, here here's your here, here's your flirty hand slapping blue collar barmaid. Only he used to be an NFL player. You know, something like that. Yeah. Just flip or combine a couple at random. You know. Okay. Yeah. A you know here here. Here's your here's your state bartender, but secretly he's writing the great American novel. You know, you've got this big, big, you know, badass uh, doorman, and you know he, he's trying to get you to leave the bar, and he's trying to be as polite as he can be, and you start to take him on, and he's like, "Come on, man, I got three kids at home I'm taking care of. Do we really need to do this?" You know, and it turns out, oh man, you know, <laughs> I like, like that. Yeah, you, know. you know, suddenly flipping on the sympathy switch. Right. No, you can't do that. I just want to smash this guy in the. Oh man! Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like actually. Yeah. Right, oh no, that was it. I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I said that, that, but it does bring up a, a one thing uh, we were talking about before the podcast, and that's you know, okay. So you have your villain NPC, but you as a GM don't want him. You want to use him again and again and again. So you know, you either do one or two, one or two things. One. You use some sort of, uh, you know, in-game mechanism for him to escape, you know, certain death, or you make sure he's not there for a certain death in the first place. You know, that's you know, if you if you don't want Ming the Merciless to die in the hands of Flash Gordon, you just make sure Ming, Ming the Merciless is not there when Flash Gordon shows up to turn off the death ray. Right. 
Yeah. Um, like I say, my experience with that has not been so good. I had a villain. The PCs kicked in the door, the last door of his hideout, rumbled with all the people who were there, found out that he wasn't there. He'd left a robot duplicate to, to occupy them. And mm-hmm. they started to get frustrated. I mean, in a in, when you're watching a movie, when you when you're when you're watching a TV show, the master villain who somehow miraculously always escapes is cool because you know that the next time that the the hero is just going to want to punch him in the face harder. But if it's your character who just got you know who just got deprived of that final resolution-filled punch to the mouth, it's you're not going to have fun with that with that frustration, and eventually it's going it, to it, it if you do it too many times, it's going to turn poisonous. So you kind of want to you kind of want to measure that carefully and look at where your players are. And don't extend his miraculous escapes past where they're willing to follow. Oh, yeah. After a while, all villains meet their end. I mean, and we brought this up, I believe, in Mission Failure about that that visceral feeling of, okay, yeah, this guy trounced us. Fine. He or he he deceived us and he got away. Fine. Oh, what's this? He's back. And you've you've built up a memorable NPC because in some way, he screwed over your players. Either, you know, you barely escaped mm-hmm. with your lives because he trounced you, or he pulled the robot duplicate, ha, 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 I'm going off in my rocket ship. And you he, you might want to do that once or twice more. You're building up tension. You're building up that memorable aspect of that villain where when it does come time where you decide, okay, I'm retiring this character and I want him gone and I know these players are going to do it. They're going to do it in ways that will probably make me wake up in a cold sweat the night after because they're going to come up with ways that... Because <laughs> they're, ta- they're talking you- to him, but it's my face in the way. Well, just, I mean, yeah, exactly. And it's going to be that much more rewarding when you finally make him find out how well, you know, his tooth enamel ham- handles stomach acid, you know, just aforementioned <laughs> punch in the mouth. And you want to do that, but if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, after a while, one, they're going to go bonkers, and if they see anybody that looks like him, they're going to gun him down. And two, after a while, your players are just going to not like you because it's like, God, he throws this villain and he keeps escaping and just... We're not taking them out. After a while, it's just going to uh, cause a lot of hurt feelings. This guy likes his NPC better than he likes us. And, right. You know, right. It well, be yeah, a valid feeling. Yeah. And it turns on to the players. But think about it from his point of view. He's tried killing you guys how many times? And you just keep on coming back. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Eh, same point of view. But, you know, if you are going to have a recurring villain, don't have him recur too often. Or set up yeah. set up a framework that allows that resolution. Like, instead of... A yeah. single recurring villain, a villain organization that keeps training new new suckers to go eat, to go uh, intercept characters, the PCs fists with their face. Yeah, but in terms of fringeworthy, we 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 do have those recurring characters. We have those pirates who may actually get you know who get away somehow, and they come back later and go nanny nanny boo boo at you again. Or there, so, or there yeah. may be an alt out there or a prime that's a pirate generator. That it, that for some reason finds fringeworthy and sends them out to be uh, uh, fringe pirates. You know that's easy enough. It's it's it, it, there's a world where the fringe portal is sitting up in Reykjavik or not in Reykjavik but in the in in, in Norway someplace and all the and it's during the Viking times. 
it's Vikings, Viking fringeworthy. <laughs> the thing is, uh, an organization can be your your villain instead of one person, and that way, when you blow him up, they can make more. Well, yeah, actually, you're, that's you're just cutting off. You know, you're just removing. It's like a tumor in, in a cancer patient. You're just removing part of the body, and the body is still there, like the arm off a starfish. It's going to grow back. Actually, you, you brought it up. Sometimes your NPC is not actually a person. It's an organization, like like you said, on Invasion Earth. Uh, invasion, on the Invasion Earth alternate, the, the antagonist is the Russian ar- is the Russian army. Actually, a Soviet yep. army. It's the Soviet army. You yep, know, yep. And you're fringeworthy. And if they get a hold of you, they will... You know, take you apart to figure out why you can go through those, that strange little warp out there. You know, they will dissect you and, and take you apart atom by atom to see what you what what, what makes you. So work. we've got a lot of we've got a lot of villainous organizations from history you can pull, or you can make up one of your own to to yeah. be a to be a backdrop for a. Um, I think calling an organization an NPC is also an important thing, although this gets more into world building. Is having yeah. uh, is having say IDET or having uh, Earth Prime or having another world stay in character because uh, they have their own character, so to speak. It's kind of a metaphor, but they do have their own character and their own approach to life. And one of the things that GM could do to kind of hurt the buy-in that the the, the buy-in that the players have, the 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 suspension of disbelief that they have. Is have a world act out of character, or have a, a, a an organization behave out of character when uh, you've established that they think about things a certain way. Yeah, but uh, I think yeah. that that's a little far afield from our specific point here. Although, uh, you can have an NPC who stands in as a voice for the organization, say you know somebody who's a commander or a or or an uh, say some kind of. Uh, some kind of icon of that organization, say the way Captain Kirk is for Starfleet. You know, he, you might wipe out Captain Kirk, but you're not wiping out Starfleet, but you have that one guy there who represents supposedly what Starfleet is about. Actually, in my case, those, uh, on, when I run the, when I run this stuff, it's Hatsumi is the more liberal, more, let's go out there and find things. Let's go out and see what is that, what's out there. And General Borden is more of the state, you know, well, okay, we, we, we must do this slowly and succinctly. We must uh-huh. be very yes. careful what Let's we're doing. Let's be orderly and make sure nothing you find can come back at us. I'm going to make sure absolutely no brain-sucking monsters can attack us through this portal before I let the first scientist go through it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a great place to find, you know, organizations, I think you really should mine, you know, comic books and, and, and uh, movies because – a lot of times they have developed great, you know, antagonistic organizations and, you know, being that nothing you're doing is copyrighted, you know, you, you have the freedom to do that. You can very easily put a group like say Hydra or Cobra or, you know, AIM or any one of those groups. <laughs> Cobra! In, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't have to make them cheesy. You could make them like a, it's an, it's make an alternate they're great for mining because they've been fleshed out and because if your players are into comics, which if they play role-playing games, I know it, it seems kind of um, you know, stereotypical, but they probably read comics. And they're probably familiar with uh, – I read a comic with, or two at one time. Right, right. Or, or maybe watch some sci-fi movies at some point or another. But, but you should 
feel free to use those and and I would encourage that they work really well yes my experience with this was this I was playing a different game there was a treasure ship the PCs came alongside the treasure ship they landed on it they got out they found droids going oh my goodness oh my goodness they queried the droids the droids said well the cargo got the cargo acted up they went oh no so that's when they outsmarted me they slapped a cam a webcam on top of a droid sent the droid further into the treasure ship, started finding members of the crew webbed to the walls with their chest burst open. Oh, yeah. They immediately We're not going said, in. Yeah, they immediately said, nice ship, too bad we can't stay. They went, they, <laughs> they went Eddie Murphy on me, and nothing I could do could get them to check that ship. It's got, a lot, it's got a lot of riches, more riches than you can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. No, no, no. You can't spend it when you're dead. We're leaving. Right. And, and so you got to you got to file the serial numbers off some. I mean, because in Fringeworthy, you can actually do a direct lift. But if you're going to do something that has an ugly surprise in it, make sure either the players don't know what that surprise is in advance or you cover the setup. You know, stealing too broadly uh, left me eventually, okay, you successfully hyperspace away, throw down the pencil, right, what are we doing for the rest of the night? Because that was my idea. Right. <laughs> And that was bad. <laughs> that was about my worst fail as a GM there. Making memorable non-player characters. You have various personalities to draw upon from various forms of media, books, movies, comics, television shows, what have you. You want to make even the smallest role pop. Some hook, some reason why the PCs will want to interact with them in whatever way that they're supposed to, but... You also don't want to over-flesh. Give enough for the players to interact with no more. Because after all, the NPCs are the guest stars. The stars of this show, as it were, are your players. Write what you know. It, it's like being a writer. Work, you know, use what you know. If you know somebody in real life that would serve well in the capacity as an NPC, go ahead and use them. There is no plagiarism in role-playing, I believe, as Jay would say. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this edition of the Fringeworthy Podcast. And this is Trav saying there is a reason why it's called gaming. It's supposed to be fun. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you.
podcast is solely the property of TriTech Games Incorporated.